I'm Mike Schaefer with Schaefer Farms in St. Hedwig, Texas. You listen to the latest news on Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We have got another week rolling, and I've got another episode rolling for you of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, there weren't as many Texans at the cattle industry convention in New Orleans as we usually see at those types of meetings, thanks to that big ice storm that shut down the airports. But for the Texans that were there, they represented the state well. We'll feature a couple of those coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. For those who grow sorghum in the Texas High Plains, it may be time to try something new. I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. Weather models are indicating that the current La Nina pattern over Texas may be transitioning into El Nino this spring, bringing more precipitation to the state. I'm Tom Nicoletti and the National Weather Service will fill us in on Texas Ag Today. February in Texas is kind of a grooming month for landscapes. Please join me, John Begnaud, as we talk about Texas landscaping. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. When it comes to cattle, Texas is always on top, and last week's cattle industry convention was no exception. The cattle industry's commitment to sustainability and the environment was on display at the NCBA Environmental Stewardship Award Ceremony, where the Parks Ranch in Goliad, Texas, was one of four regional winners. David Crow owns and operates the Park Ranch. As we started acquiring ranch land, we looked at the property as a whole and designed pastures. We were able to put in fences and create a rotational grazing, and it's been successful for us. You can see it in the health of the soil and in the grasses as the cattle rotate through from pasture to pasture. It's a very low-stress situation. You pretty much just had to hit the siren on the truck and open the gate and they hear the cattle come. But Crow is quick to point out that what works for his ranch may not work for everyone. One thing you learn about ranching, the ecosystems change. And what might work in South Texas where we are might not work in, in the Panhandle or East Texas. So and that's one thing we've learned in the ranching business is, is you've got to respect everybody on how they do it because there's no one right way to do it. Crow is a first-generation Texas rancher, and he says that makes this award even more special when you consider that many Texas ranches have been operating for multiple generations and many decades. Oh, it's it's incredible. It's a humbling deal. I mean, the, the fact that we're just first generation, my son, and he's my partner now, and he's he's already carrying the heavy load on this deal. It's, it's like I said, it's an affirmation from your peer group. Another Texan in the spotlight at the convention last week was Tucker Brown of the R.A. Brown Ranch in Throckmorton. He 
was named the 2022 Beef Advocate of the Year. The award recognized Brown for his creative use of storytelling across social media platforms, along with his continuing family's legacy as a sixth-generation cattle rancher. The most success I have had has come through social media. Being able to reach millions of people in a matter of days has been where I've had success on um, social apps like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. That's where my success has come from in the past two years, and I continue to hope grow that. Brown says he doesn't hesitate to answer the hard questions about the beef industry, and he loves showcasing their West Texas multi-generational ranch. What I do love doing is sharing the, the truth about beef. I think ag is facing this uphill battle of misinformation from a lot of sources. And so I love what NCBA has done by trying to put the next group of advocates to share the truth and connect with the consumer. You can follow Tucker Brown on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok. It may be time for some Texas sorghum farmers to try something new. James Hunt says there are a lot of new sorghum varieties on the market right now. Here's a little tip for those who grow sorghum in the Texas High Plains. Brent Bean of the Sorghum Checkoff says you might make some gains in production by trying some of the newer hybrids that have come out in recent years. A lot of yield gain has been made really in the last 10 years, and I think there's various reasons for that. We're just getting a lot better at being able to select sorghum lines across to make those hybrids. And so if you're planting an old variety, you really need to look at some of these newer hybrids because not only do they yield better, but they stand up better, just have better overall attributes that people need to be looking at. In our previous report, Dr. Bean told us it looks like there will be plenty of seed available for sorghum growers this season. But he says, don't delay getting your order in, especially if you'd like to try something new. If you're looking, for example, especially for, say, sugarcane aphid tolerance in the silage sorghums, we do have some hybrids that are available now that do have decent sugarcane aphid tolerance, and I'm sure those will go fairly quickly. So those silage growers that weren't sugarcane aphid tolerance, or now it's the sorghum aphid, I've got to correct myself on that, but uh, you know, go ahead and get that seed booked. Good advice from Dr. Bean on purchasing seed. But in case you didn't catch it the first time, that bug local farmers fight every season is no longer considered to be the sugarcane aphid, even though it is the same aphid that first began infesting area fields in 2015. The just figured out that it's actually a little bit different than what actually gets into sugarcane, so that's why we're now calling it the sorghum aphid. Brent Bean is the Director of Agronomy for the United Sorghum Checkoff Program. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. When will this drought-causing La Nina weather pattern go away? Tom Nicoletti tells us it should happen sometime this year. My guest again today from Fort Worth is National Weather Service meteorologist Tom Bradshaw. And Tom, as farmers are preparing to plant their spring crops and ranchers have their uh, livestock out on the pastures and spring will be coming in several weeks, the La Nina weather pattern that has produced this extensive drought is still with us in Texas. What's the National Weather Service looking at when it comes to uh, that turning into an El Nino where there's more precipitation for the state? It seems like we've been talking about La Nina now for the last two or three years. This has been a very long duration La Nina pattern for uh, basically the Pacific region and adjacent North America, including Texas. There is some light 
at the end of the tunnel. We're in a weak La Nina pattern right now. We're going to be transitioning into a neutral state, March and April timeframe. And then later on in the spring into the summer, we're going to be transitioning most likely into an El Nino pattern, which means water temperatures across the equatorial Pacific that are going to be a little bit warmer than normal. And what that means for us is it actually gives us some hope that long-term drought conditions that we've seen for the last two or three years across the state will actually get mitigated and we'll actually start seeing a little bit more in the way of a springtime rains transitioning into the summer. So that's sort of what we're hoping to see and certainly what some of the model indications are showing to us right now. There's been some episodic relief here and there across the state over the last couple of years, but by and large, it's been a relatively dry period. And again, we are hoping that as we go into an El Nino phase, that's going to bring us a little bit more in the way of rainfall. Certainly, we still have drought conditions across a good part of the state. We're hoping to see some dents made in those drought conditions as we get into the spring and certainly our early summertime. Again, that is Tom Bradshaw. He is National Weather Service meteorologist in Fort Worth. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. February is a grooming month for Texas landscapes and gardens. Horticulturalist John Begno explains from San Angelo. Well, we've had some cold days and some warm days, typical January-February conditions, and we consider February in Texas a grooming month, basically. Yeah, there's some planting going on, nurseries. I just talked with several of them. They have fruit trees and nut trees, and now is a great time if you're going to be planting some new peaches or pecans. This is a really good time of year to put those things out, and they're available, and the trees are fresh in nurseries now. But for the most part, things like vegetable plants and turf and even new shrubs are not available, and rightly so you don't want to be putting them in the ground in February in most areas of Texas, except deep south Texas, because of maybe impending cold fronts and damage that you might have. But grooming includes, first of all and foremost, it's prime pruning season on trees. So if you haven't scheduled it, uh, you'd love it to be done before the budding out in March and early April because you could get all of that stuff done and cleaned up and out of the way and the trees are ready for spring break. Now, grooming those plants that have been top-killed, we have hardy perennials like cannas or lantanas. And in most areas of Texas, except deep south Texas, they're going to go dormant on top. We call these root-hardy plants. And for those root-hardy plants, it's not a bad thing to start going up a couple of inches above the ground and, and getting rid of that, putting in the in the compost pile, doing something with that organic material if you can, other than just getting rid of it, using that. And so that's something we can do. We really don't think of scalping yards in most areas except in deep south Texas because we want that material on the surface to help to insulate the crown of the plants in some cases or the runners or stolons in the case of St. Augustine, we need that insulating layer. We're not in any hurry. And speaking of being in hurry, sometimes you'll be contacted by yard people wanting to fertilize and do things that are maybe a little bit on the early side. Don't rush it. Fertilizing plants at this time of the year in Texas could be a a waste because if you put it down and it get abundant rainfall, it can leach those compounds and those elements out of the soil and they're unavailable to plants. So be patient. February is a patient month in gardening in Texas. Reporting from San Angelo for Texas Ag Today, this is John Begno. A pair of monkeys that went missing from the Dallas Zoo has been found. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And what exactly is insulin resistance in horses? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. What exactly is insulin resistance in horses? Dr. Bob Judd tells what it means. Understanding insulin starts with glucose. As glucose is a type of sugar we get from foods, but insulin is required to get the glucose into the body's cells so it can be used for energy. The pancreas produces insulin, but too much insulin can cause a problem, and some horses are just born that way. Dr. Andrew Van Epps indicates in the horse publication that breeds like Arabians, Morgans, ponies, and some warm bloods may even carry a genetic risk for overproduction of insulin. Others produce insulin due to obesity as the body becomes less sensitive to insulin, so the body produces more and more because the insulin that is produced is not working. In humans, the pancreas simply wears out and cannot produce enough insulin, which leads to type 2 diabetes in people. The horse's pancreas does generally not stop producing insulin, and the extra insulin stimulates insulin-like growth factor cells in the hoof, causing these cells to grow and disrupting the attachment of the cells to each other, and laminitis develops as the attachment weakens. So the best method of decreasing the amount of insulin produced is to decrease the amount of sugar the horse eats. This means very little grazing on green pastures without a grazing muzzle, as these pastures are high in sugar. Avoid concentrates and feed hay that is less than 10% non-structural carbohydrates. Exercise can lower the insulin level, assuming the horse is not too painful to walk due to laminitis, but some horses need medications to help. Supplementing thyroid medications can speed up metabolism and decrease insulin levels. And another drug, metformin, can reduce the absorption of sugar from the intestine. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Some missing monkeys were on the loose in Texas last week, but they have been found. Jessica Domel has the story in today's Wildlife Report. A pair of emperor tamarind monkeys that went missing from the Dallas Zoo has been found. According to the zoo, the monkeys, named Bella and Finn, went missing last Monday, and authorities found the fencing near the enclosure had been intentionally cut. Dallas and Lancaster police reported they found the monkeys late last week in an empty home in Lancaster. That's about 16 miles southeast of Dallas. They were returned to the zoo where they were treated by veterinarians and an animal care team. The zoo says Bella and Finn have lost some weight, but they show no signs of injury. Officials will continue to monitor the monkeys closely to ensure that they're healthy. Since the monkeys were taken from the property at the zoo, they will be under a quarantine before they're allowed to return to their normal habitat. According to the Associated Press, a 24-year-old man was arrested in connection with the missing monkeys last week. AP says he faces at least five charges of animal cruelty. Unfortunately, the missing monkeys wasn't the only unusual thing to happen at the zoo recently. AP reports that on January 13th, a clouded leopard named Nova disappeared from her enclosure. Police say the fence around the enclosure appeared to be intentionally cut. Fortunately, Nova was later found near her habitat. 
According to CNN, a similar cut was found near another enclosure of monkeys, but all have been accounted for. And on January 21st, a lappet-faced vulture was sadly found dead at the zoo with unusual wounds and injuries. That death is under investigation. The zoo has since ramped up its security since the incidents. You can see photos of Bella and Finn, the recovered monkeys, on the Dallas Zoo's Facebook page. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market continued to climb higher on Monday, but cotton dropped lower. We'll check out all of Monday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle futures market continued to add to gains on Monday following last week's big jump higher. We ended up closing higher on both live and feeder cattle Monday with February live cattle up 55 cents, 160.82. The April up 35, 164.47, with June up 42 cents at 160.70. Feeder cattle strongly higher. March feeders up $1.60, 187.70. April feeder cattle up $1.12, 191.75. With May feeders up 75 cents, 195.52. Cash fed cattle market quiet on Monday. Most of the sales we saw last week were on Friday. Here in the South, we saw some light trade at 159. That's three bucks higher compared to the previous week. Boxed beef prices higher on Monday. Choice up $1.62 at 266.36. Select up $1.70 at 253.31. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Had a chance to visit with Klein Spear from Southwest Livestock Exchange Uvalde about the cattle sale he had on Thursday. Klein, why don't you describe the action to these good folks? Well, well, Larry, we had uh, 210 head today, kind of light due to the weather, but uh, always good to see a little moisture and glad to see the sun back out this evening. Those Packer cows and bulls, probably another 4 to $5 better. And uh, calves and yearlings, I thought were pretty steady. We had some good quality calves there today. Steady to maybe a couple of dollars better. Those number one choice steers, $1.40 to $1.75. Lightweights, $1.75 to $2.20. Those choice heifers, $1.35 to $1.70. Lightweights, $1.65 to $2.30. Crossbred steers, $1.55 to $2.05. And the lightweights, $1.50 to $1.95. Crossbred heifers, $1.15 to $1.55. And those lightweights, $1.45 to $1.80. Stocker cows, $80 to $1.20. Packables day ninety to a dollar thirteen. Those breaker cows seventy two to ninety five. Cutters and canners are fifty five to seventy three. Those shelly cows are twenty five to forty five. Had a few plain pairs five to six hundred on them today, and some bred cows had a handful of them today, bring six seventy five up to thirteen hundred. So uh, just a, still a really good market here. To get things going. 
Good. Do you think the market will flow on through next week for sheep and goats on Tuesday, cattle Thursday? I think so. I think we'll have even a little more demand next week and have a few more numbers to pick around on and everybody has some good weather to work with. So I see this still maybe be a tick better next week. Sounds good to me. I know it will to you and to your clients. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Call us the office, 830-278-5621 or my cell phone, 830-591-3241. Talk to you next week, Klein. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble for Texas Ag Today. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs were mixed Monday. February hogs up two cents, 75.05. The April contract down 3.75 to close at 82.72. Class three milk was lower. February milk down 11 cents, 17.81 a hundred weight. March milk down 25 at 17.48 a hundred. The cotton market dropped lower. Traders nervous about the U.S. shooting down that Chinese surveillance balloon that made its way across the U.S. over the weekend. And that reaction was lower in the cotton market. March cotton dropped 216 points, 83.27. The May down 200 points at 84.11. While new crop December cotton down 142 points, 83.73. The corn market traded lower throughout most of the day, but we ended up closing slightly higher. Some export sales maybe helped the market to bump up a bit. USDA reporting sales of 4.4 million bushels of old crop corn to Japan, 7.9 million bushels of corn to Mexico, half of that old crop, half new crop. Now, that's good to see those sales, but overall, total exports are 43% lower than this time a year ago. March corn up one and a half, closing at six seventy nine a bushel. May corn up two and a quarter, six seventy seven and three quarters. September corn up two and a half at six thirteen. The wheat market was mixed, with hard wheat finishing slightly higher, soft wheat dropping lower. March Kansas City wheat up three cents, eight seventy six. New crop July up a half at eight fifty eight and a quarter. March Chicago wheat down six and a half at 750 and a quarter. In the energy markets, March natural gas up six cents, 247. March West Texas crude up 92 cents, 7431 a barrel. The financial markets lower Monday afternoon. The Dow down 44 points, 33,881. The Nasdaq down 123 at 11,883. The S&P down 25 at 4,110. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.